because I was born there. I have an identification number that overrides everything in that land. I have to use um, my Palestinian passport. And on top of that, for me to leave, I have to use my Palestinian passport in Israel and in Jordan. But I didn't do that. Welcome to First Person Stories, where you get to hear the most fun, exciting, and sometimes intense stories from people of all walks of life. I'm Nino. And I'm Ray. This episode features Helda, a Palestinian-American who visits the West Bank for the first time and runs into several roadblocks as she prepares to return to the U.S. You'll drop into the story as the plan and execution of her escape unfolds. So what did you do? So... uh... When I found out that I had to do what I had to do, I actually called the American embassy in Tel Aviv. Um, Or actually, I emailed them and then they call you back. So I explained to them the situation and I basically told her, what if I don't want to make this ID card? I only want to use my American passport when I visit here. She basically told me that because of the situation in that region, you have to do what the Israeli government says. And I said, okay, so basically you can't help me. Um, And pretty much that was what she was saying, that I had to basically do what the Israeli government is telling me that I have to do. Um, And because of the situation in that region, they can't really do much. So um, I actually was taken to we were like in a faraway city in a village and I had to go back to Ramallah to go to the Palestinian Authority building and I was able to make an ID card and a Palestinian passport in two hours um, which is pretty much unheard of in any country I think Um, so how did you how were you able to do it so fast connections I was actually blessed I had connections with the people that I was with I am forever indebted to them (laughs) wow yeah so i was able to make it in two hours um and because i made it in such a short time i made it i believe it was either the 30th or the 31st and we were leaving on the second so that doesn't give the israeli government enough time to input any of my information into the system so when i was going to leave i actually went to the desk gave her my passport and she's like oh your passport doesn't come up but obviously I have it so she sees oh you just did it but you're gonna have an issue so I said okay well this is what I have she goes okay where's your tasrih a tasrih is basically a visa um, I told her I don't have one she said okay you can go make one at the window I go up to this other window and the lady legit is using a typewriter to make this visa <laughs> So she makes me my visa, and that was it. And then I go back to the window, and the guy, and then another guy, he goes, okay, where's your tansik? I said, I don't know what that is. So he's like, a tansik is basically a written agreement from the Israeli government allowing you to exit. And I asked him, like, why do I need this? Um, I had my two friends with me who have a Palestinian ID card, they're like, but they're from the West Bank. Palestinians who have an ID card from Gaza Strip need a written agreement, what they call a tamsik. They need this written agreement from the Israeli government, allowing them to travel anywhere. And this is what really hit me the most because now I'm really being treated as 
a person with a Palestinian identity, like, I need to apply for this paper that takes two months to get, but I'm only here for 10 days. So at the same time, they're telling me that I'm going to be stuck here for, you know, two months until I get this approval. And even if I had connections one week. So how could they do that? Like that, that that's so crazy. Like, how could you tell a, a group of people that they can't leave the land? Oh, but it wasn't a group. Of people, it was just me. This so I'm the only one out of the group that has that was forced to make an ID card because I was born in Gaza. Right, right. But I'm t- I'm also talking about the the people who live there now. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like how like how messed up is that? Like you can't you can't leave. And like Gaza is surrounded by. Um, it's an open air prison. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's that's the only way to, to to kind of describe it. And I did. I had no idea like this was the case. So this is all enlightening to me. And this me is too. blowing my mind. <laughs> me too. So I mean, in the moment, I it's kind of you're you you're in fight or flight mode, right? You can't really think about the emotion so much. And I mean, I reflected afterwards, but at that point, I just I was like, I need to get out. And when he's telling me that I'm going to be stuck there for two months and you know, one week if I have connection, I was like, no way. I'm like, even if I stay here one day, my life would be turned upside down. I wouldn't complete my hours for my professional practicum. I wouldn't get my degree. I wouldn't be able to accept my new job offer. I was like, no way. Like, I am leaving here. Mm-hmm. So automatically, I kept thinking, what am I going to do? So I remember the lady telling me that my passport doesn't come up in the system. So I told the guy, okay, what if I... You let me onto the bus. What if I go to the Israel? Because when you leave, you're in the Palestinian building, and then you have to go take a bus to the Israeli building, and then take another bus to the Jordanian building. So I'm in the Palestinian building, and I'm talking to the authority there, and I said, if you let me get onto the bus to go to the Israeli building, and I show them this is what I have, this is what you told me to make, you knew that I was only going to be here for 10 days, there's no way that I can get this Tansik you know, that takes two months to get if I'm only here for 10 days. I said, I can't sit here for two months or even a week and say that I didn't try. Mm-hmm. So, and he goes, okay, well, when you get to the Jordanian side, he's like, even if the Israelis let you go, the Jordanians aren't going to let you pass. I said, well, you told me that my number doesn't come up. How are the Jordanians going to know that I have a Palestinian passport if it doesn't come up? I said, I'm just going to use my American passport. That's what I used to get in. That's what I used to get out. And he goes, if you do that, you're going to get arrested. I said, you know what? At this point, I have to try. I can't sit here and not try. So he let me. He he said, I'll see you in an hour, basically telling me that they're going to return you back. (laughs) So he let me onto the bus, and I got to the Israeli side. And um, the gentleman called me up, and he starts speaking to me in Arabic. And I give him my Palestinian passport, and I said, I'm sorry, I don't speak Arabic. He goes... (laughs) Sorry, you gave him your American passport? No, I gave him my Palestinian passport. That's oh. why he started speaking to me in Arabic. And oh. I said, I'm sorry, I don't speak Arabic. And he goes, <laughs> you have a Palestinian passport and you don't speak Arabic? And I explained to him the situation. And he goes, huh, this is the first time I ever heard of it. I go, well, yeah, there's a first time for everything. Mm. You know? <laughs> so he goes, okay, did you visit Gaza on your trip? And I said, no. So he starts speaking to the guy next to him in Hebrew, I guess, contemplating whether, you know, what he should do. So basically, he lets me go. I'm like, okay, good. One down, one more to go. So at this point, when you leave the Israeli building, 
if you use your Palestinian passport, you have to board the Palestinian passenger bus. It's basically segregation. And when you use your American passport, you board the American passport bus. So what did this look like? The buses, how big were they, the space you were in? Can you describe what you're seeing? Um, it's a normal bus. Honestly, it basically looks like an NJ Transit bus. It's, it's not the same bus that we took coming in. Um, but it wasn't like, it wasn't dirty or anything. It was actually pretty clean. Okay. Um, so we're sitting on this bus and I realize, I looked to my friend, I said, I use my Palestinian passport. I'm on the Palestinian bus. When I get off to the Jordanian building, I was like, they're going to know that I have a Palestinian passport. They're going to ask me, why am I on this bus? She goes, no, 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 it's okay. Just put away your Palestinian passport, take out your American, and tell them that you're just traveling with me because um, this is your first time. You didn't want to get lost and you don't speak Arabic. I said, okay, fine. That's that's actually... You have really clever friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and your name being Halda kind of helps too. Like, it's not a common Arabic name. Yeah, exactly. So, at this point, I take out my American passport and... I'm looking at what the Jordanians are going to look at, you know, flipping through my pages. And what they're going to look at is the entry um, stamp from when you entered, you know, um, you entered their country. So I look at the entry stamp and on the opposite page, the actu they actually stamped my passport. The Israeli government stamped my passport with my Palestinian ID number. So at this point, excuse my language, I'm shitting in my pants because... Oh, no. I'm like, they're going to see this stamp <laughs> okay. and they're going to know that I have a Palestinian ID card. So real quick, I'm like, I need a way to cover it. I can't rip the page out. I actually had a piece of paper, which was my visa from when I went to Nicaragua. And it fits perfectly above it. <laughs> so I was like, I need to staple it. But I don't have a stapler. So my friend actually ripped a sticker from the back of her passport and stuck it onto the paper, onto the passport page to, you know, quote unquote, make believe it got stuck. So we're like pressing really hard on it just to like make sure it sticks real good so it doesn't fall out. So if he was to look, you know, open my passport, <laughs> that it would just cover the stamp. Oh my God, my heart is pounding just like <laughs> listening to the story. <laughs> the suspense. The suspense. <laughs> I, was, I was too, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. So at this point, we get to the Jordanian building, and um, they, don't actually, they don't actually allow you to exit the bus right away. They, I don't know why they make you wait, but we waited a little bit, and then we exit off, and the guy is looking at passports when you exit, which is kind of weird because you kind of have to wait till you get to the window to show your passport. So he takes my passport, he starts speaking to me in Arabic, and my friend says, so she doesn't speak Arabic, blah, 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 blah. You know, she's traveling with us, the story that, you know, we said we were going to say. Mm -hmm. um, and he takes my passport and puts it in his pocket. So I'm like, whoa, why is he doing that? So I get really nervous. He tells my friend, go do your paperwork and then come back to me. So I'm really nervous this whole time. Like, why is he have my passport in his pocket? He's probably looking through it right now. He's going to see it. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get arrested. Like all these things are going through my head. So my friend finishes did you, her paperwork. Did you say anything at all while you were there so that no. he's, he's, he hears your accent, you know? Um, I don't think he was paying attention, mm. but I didn't speak Arabic at all. I just spoke English. Yeah. 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 Or he so, could have been holding your passport to like hope that he can marry you and get to America. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> <laughs> that happens a lot in the Middle East. 
only, only we would only we would think of that possibility it's like, <laughs> that's what was yes. going through my head i'm like maybe he wanted to marry her <laughs> wow in my head i was relating this to my experiences at different borders so you're here you're waiting you're quiet it's i'm guessing it's like midday dust is flying around what happens no it's next? not midday this is like at midnight <laughs> oh wow so you're traveling at night yeah okay um, so oh. when you actually have a Palestinian passport, you have 24 access between the borders. Um, but because we were people with American passports, they actually close at 10 for them. So we were we had to get there before it closed. But because I was held back, um, it's now like midnight at this point. Oh no! Yeah, I, I didn't even realize it was nighttime. That brings it, that makes it even more like um, yeah, frightening. No, this, yeah, right? this is at nighttime. Um. If you're there during the time during the daytime, it's actually chaos. Um, it's actually better for you to go at night. We came in at night too. We entered in um, during the night as well. Um, so at this point, he has my passport in his pocket, and my friend finishes her paperwork. We go to him, and he takes us to the other side. Um, and he actually he was very nice. He let me go get. He let me go find my luggage. Um, and I say find because when the Jordanians have your 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 luggage, it, there's no belt loop like how you would think that there is at these areas. They basically, it's a truck full of luggage and then they just like, it's like a dump truck where they just put it on this concrete floor and you have to find your, your, your suitcase. So I asked him, you know, can I go find my luggage while I wait for them to pass through? He said, yeah. So I, he let me. Um, I was like, okay, so he's nice. And at this point, my friend passes through and he takes us outside. And I'm like, okay, I guess we're going to another building and he's going to take us to an interrogation room, something. I'm like thinking the worst. But then he takes us to the American side where you, the Americans give their passports. So I'm a little calm now and he gives my American passport to the guy. Um, and my friend speaks on my behalf because, you know, she tells him he, she doesn't speak English. I mean, she doesn't speak Arabic. So he looks at it real quick, gives it back to her and she goes, that's it. And in my head, I'm telling her, I'm like, that's it. I'm like, if he's giving it back to you, just, just take it and run. Let's go. Right. <laughs> what do you mean? That's it. I just went through all of this. <laughs> exactly. So but she said it like in shock, like, oh, that's it. Like real quick, you know, it was real quick. So he gives her back my passport, she gives it to me, and we literally jet to the group, and I just start bawling because I'm like, thank God, because had they seen that stamp, had they known that I hold a Palestinian passport and used my American instead, I would have gotten arrested. So like at this point, I'm just relieved, and I go with the group, and I was like, let's get out of here. God <laughs> loves you. Someone's looking out for you up there. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. so happy that you made it. I am happy to see that she made it. There are several sides to the story, but what struck me the most was Helda's bravery in finding a way around the laws that shouldn't have applied to her in the first place. Who knows what could have happened had she been found out. I typically tend towards rule following, and when I see examples of people who are justified and courageous enough to break rules, it's inspirational. That's how individuals can help move society forward. Thank you, Helda, for sharing this story. It truly has given me something to think about. One word that comes to mind when I think of Helda's story is resilience. 
And although I still have a lot of questions about why the laws were in place, and would welcome an opportunity to speak with a local with a different viewpoint, her side of the story reminds me that many marginalized people call Earth home. People that are negatively affected by the rule of law, because either they didn't have a seat at the table when those laws were being created, nor a voice after. Still, her story was inspiring. Whether you call them roadblocks or obstacles, life, like travel, brings you face to face with the unknown. And like Helda, we each have choices. We can try or we can resign to what is. In this case, I'm glad she tried. Thanks for listening. This saga continues with a few other first-person stories featuring Helda that will be available on iTunes or Google Play. If you'd like to hear the entire interview and get access to other bonus materials, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash first person. That's the number one ST person and sign up to be a patron. You can join as a passenger, frequent flyer, jet setter, or co-pilot. You can also support the show in three more ways. First, go to firstperson.us forward slash sign up to join our mailing list. Next, go to iTunes or Google Play and give us a high rating or review. And lastly, share this episode or any other episode with a friend or family member that you think would enjoy it. Once again, thank you for tuning in to First Person Stories, where you get to hear the most fun, exciting, and sometimes intense stories from people of all walks of life. Till next time, happy travels.